Can you imagine how much clinical data is generated by 5,000 U.S. hospitals? Hello, and welcome to the Data Point Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and in this episode, we're going to be sitting down with Dr. Norma Padron. Dr. Padron is the Senior Director of Applied Data and Analytics at the American Hospital Association, and she knows exactly how much data is generated by 5,000 hospitals. We're going to talk a little bit about that, how we go about analyzing that kind of massive data at scale to generate meaning, and also talk a little bit about what Dr. Padron likes best about being back in her home state of Texas. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Dr. Norma Padron of the American Hospital Association. Hello and welcome to the Data Point Podcast. We are broadcasting live from the Health Equity Hackathon in Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and I'm here today with Dr. Norma Padron, who is Senior Director of Applied Research and Data Analytics at the American Hospital Association. Norma, welcome. Thank you, Greg. How are you? I am doing great. It is so great to be here. I know that you uh, are a Texas native. Does it feel good to be back in your home state? I love it. It's always home. It's always home. I love Texas. Is there anything about this place uh, when you arrived that made you feel like you were really in Texas? Uh, yes. You know, well, first of all, the weather. <laughs> it's uh, warmer and nice and just the people and the food and just the, the vibe. Uh, Texas is huge, but... Yeah, it has its own particular style, and I love it. It certainly does. Um, and we actually share a couple of locations now, since you're from Texas, living in Chicago. I'm mm -hmm. from Chicago, living in Texas. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take the weather this winter, uh, in any case. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I wanted to get started by talking to you a little bit about how you came to be where you are. Mm -hmm. uh, are there things in your background that particularly led you to the kind of research that you're doing today? Give us a little bit of your background. A little bit of background, yes. So I, I always begin by saying that I was born in McAllen, Texas. And it's a very, you know, not only it was, became famous in 2009, but an article from Dr. Atul Gawande in The New Yorker, uh, mm. underscoring how it was uh, this particular part of the country where, you know, despite having some of the lowest household income in the country, it had one of the highest expenditures per capita. And it was just... Uh, so an MRI capital of the world or something like that, right? It's, um, well, it's, it's improved. And I think that there were, you know, there were a couple of follow-up articles and, and, and how it's been improving. And it certainly has. But, um, you know, I didn't have health insurance until I was 23. Wow. Um, you know, in and out, I guess. Uh, but it was, it was a. I went to university at the University of Texas Pan American at the time, then University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, and I had the great fortune of working very early on for a health economist who was interested in uh, issues around uninsurance and underinsurance among Latinos and minorities, and so. Um, it was, I was in economics and math and I, I, I don't know what I thought at the time, but then after I started using data and economics for those types of analysis, I never looked back. Is that right? So yeah. when you went to university, you weren't necessarily thinking about healthcare, no. but no. while you were there, it grabbed you. Yeah. And it was, it became, it was, you know, it's a sort of way of living. I remember, you know, we would cross the border and go to the Mexican side if we were sick. Yeah. So it was like, it, you know, we were, it was, it was so salient in some ways and in some ways so hidden that access was a problem for me, a college student, you know, but I, it, it didn't connect until I, 
I got to work with this professor, so I was very lucky. And how then much, after that, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> how much of that has stayed a part of your mission in terms of yeah. accessibility to the right healthcare yeah. for everybody? You know, it really just, it colors everything that I've done, either consciously or subconsciously. I think that I had, and as I've gotten to work and learn more about the dis different disciplines that uh, really work towards advancing how to better deliver care, you know, and so as I've been learning more and more about it through the years, um, just sort of like my own personal experience has colored the types of questions that I ask, mm. the types of, uh, you know, research questions. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I was faculty and, and researcher and still do research. And so the types of questions that I ask, yeah, I think it, it either consciously or subconsciously, but I, that experience is, is something that has definitely shaped my way of thinking and, and my mission. Yeah, and you've had some interesting opportunities to live in a lot of different places in the world. Can you tell us about some of the stops on the way to Chicago? Yes, absolutely. So 12 cities, four different countries. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I'm a gypsy. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, Yes. Yeah, so, so after you know, by working in in this space so early on, I got the huge opportunity of being selected as a American Economics Association Summer Scholar. Okay. And uh, that meant a full summer of nerding out, uh, which then really embedded in me that I could go to grad school. Yeah. I don't know that up to that point I knew that I just became part of it. Um, and then I went to Duke for a master's in economics. So I, I had the opportunity of working for a, a very prominent health economist. So I lived in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, I was, again, he was a health economist. So we we're working on healthcare and adherence uh, to recommended care by persons uh, with diabetes. Okay. And I was fascinated by it. I felt that I really wanted to learn more about public health and health in general. I knew that medicine wasn't my thing. I get scared. It, the funny thing is that I actually get scared around hospitals. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, that is ironic. That's the irony of life. <laughs> uh, went to Spain, did a master's in public health and work over there. I uh, had the fortune of working for a professor who was very interested in the financing of healthcare. Hmm. It's the first time, you know, up to that point, I hadn't thought about it in that way. So systems, how do you finance the system so that it's a healthy system that provides the most, uh, the best care, you know, the appropriate resources. Came back to the States, I went to Yale for the PhD. Um, it's a very unique opportunity of being in both the School of Public Health and the Department of Economics. I specialized in labor economics and public finance and everything that, you know, I kind of experienced and uh, uh, was learning about was for, you know, towards advancing access to public health. And, and I became also very interested in larger and larger data sets. Yeah. You know, because that's, you know, you want to have the best dissertation in the world. So you're looking for the larger data sets. Became really grateful for the opportunity of having like panel survey of income dynamics, current population survey, you know, sure. all of these large data sets that through, you know, we can advance knowledge that way. But I was also interested in, in other newer types of data, uh, social media at the time, you know, yeah. it was 2009 when I was in grad school. So... Purely out of curiosity, yeah. does that mean that you had to become uh, familiar with lots of different kind of statistical modeling tools and uh, a little bit of data science thrown into your background? Yeah, so I had, again, kind of lucky coincidence. I Because I had had epidemiology and biostats uh, and econometrics, yep. 
Then I had this sort of the, the context of how does this, you know, we would call different things the same, you know, the same model and things of that way. But, you know, you start kind of learning around it. Yes, I think that, so I wrapped, you know, wrapped up the, the whole education process. I go to New York. I was working at the New York Academy of Medicine, which is an urban health think tank. It actually uh, provides a lot of support to cities and states for how to improve health. And so I got the opportunity working a lot with the city and state of New York and the city of Philadelphia, the city of Los Angeles, and the concept of open data. Yeah. Cities putting out their data, different agencies collaborating and sharing or not sharing data. Uh, and that became fascinating. And yes, I just, I felt I had to learn even more methods. Um, I didn't have the, I don't know that at the time I had the right skills you know, or toolkits. I was coding mostly in Stata in SAS, uh, but then I was like, you know what, if I want to learn R and I want to do all of these other things. So a lot of hackathons, a lot of attending, you know, mm -hmm. learning groups and meetups, uh, community in New York, as in many other areas, right? Like there's nothing stopping you to go and learn. Just go to those meetups. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And how would you say, I think it, I think it's really interesting that you are here at this hackathon in particular. For our listeners who haven't been to a hackathon, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about this one and why some different. why you might be interested in it in, in a way that's different than others? Yeah, absolutely. So this hackathon is very much in the vein of hacking by uh, bringing a whole diversity of perspectives um, and knowledge for a common purpose. Uh, some other, you know, depending on other places where you might be or types of, you know, another types of hackathons is a very specialized sort of uh, audience mm. and it's for advancing sort of like a narrower set of topics. And so here the topic is as broad as you can mean, as you can imagine, but equally as meaningful as you can imagine because it's about health, driving health equity. And so uh, we have, you know, the American Hospital Association, we have nurses, we have the American Heart Association, we have local Austin technology groups, we have uh, so a, a, a variety of disciplines and fields and points of view, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, students. And so I think that the, the special part of it is that you get to hear about what they, you know, how when, when a problem is put forth, and so a lot of the conversations yesterday were mm -hmm. about, you know, how discrimination actually has its impact on health. Well, nurses experience it day to day where they are delivering, but maybe they haven't heard the story of how, you know, entrepreneurs think that they could or not address it, right? And so I think it's in, in the exchange what makes it so unique. Uh, the very, you know, exchange of the diverse perspectives. So I think that that for us at the American Hospital Association, um, you know, and we have the Institute for Diversity, which is one of our units, obviously trying to promote and, and support and provide assistance to hospitals around the country, trying to move the needle in equity mm -hmm. and diversity and inclusion, uh, the how to get there. Uh, for, for me and for us is just, uh, this is, this is how you get to actually hear and learn what, what, what folks are actually doing in the space. So yeah. that's right. And it's interesting because I know that I, like many others, probably think of organizations like the AHA as being primarily focused on uh, on policy issues, yeah. on, on lobbying. Yeah. But what you're describing goes a lot deeper in terms of really building up a body of research. Can you tell more about the sort of some of the research priorities and why the AHA 
is so interested. Yeah, so absolutely. So the American Hospital Association is uh, is a member organization, right? And um, I, I sometimes get the numbers wrong, so I apologize for this. But out of the about 5,600, I think the, sometimes I hear 5,700, sometimes I hear 5,600. Out of the 5,600 hospitals in the country, uh, over 5,000 are members of the American Hospital Association. And you're right that... Uh, our members care a lot about policy, and in mm. in we do have offices in DC where a lot of our team there specializes in sort of really you know talking to rural critical access hospitals, safety net hospitals, when their policies, when their bills, um, explaining to them you know what is actually this means to you, and I think that that serves an incredibly valuable um, you know need. Uh, for for many of us in the office in Chicago and and also in DC, but you know we there are different units within the organization, like the Institute for Diversity, like the Value Initiative. Um, the, the Value Initiative specializes in providing support and resources to members that are interested in in getting behind you know finding ways of affordability yeah. for care. And so we do serve that kind of broader umbrella. Obviously, we're a member organization. We want to serve our members, the, you know, the best way we can. Uh, we're like a neutral party, so we don't have other stakes than serving our members, which I think is, is a very unique position to be. And increasingly through the Center for Health Innovation, which is the umbrella under which the, uh, the Institute for Diversity Health Forum, the Health Research and Educational mm -hmm. Trust live now in the Center for Health Innovation. A lot of our goals are geared towards kind of connecting the frontier knowledge, right, in the space. What's the frontier knowledge in equity and diversity and inclusion? How do we drive this immediately to practice? Um, and, you know, performance improvement. You know, we understand performance improvement to be also a function of all these other factors and there's all this body of evidence. Um, how do we make this evidence and these applications really actionable for safety net hospitals, for critical access hospitals, for rural hospitals, for hospitals in urban, high density yeah. metropolitan areas. And that's the space where I'm in. <laughs> Fantastic. We're yes. going to take a quick break right now. We will be right back with Dr. Norma Padron. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. This is Reed Smith. And this is Chris Boyer. And we are co-hosts on a show called Touchpoint, which is a podcast that's dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, not only for just hospitals, but health systems and physician practices. In every episode, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and other things that are impacting the healthcare industry today. And while you listen to this show, we would certainly love you to check out ours. All you have to do is swing on over to touchpoint.health for more information, and also some of the other shows that are featured on the Touchpoint Media Network. And we are back on the Data Point Podcast. I'm Greg Matthews. We are here today with Dr. Norma Padron from the American Hospital Association. She is, she is Senior Director for the Applied Research and Data Analytics team. I am going to say that 10 times faster when we're done here. <laughs> do you ever get uh, choked up on that one? I do. I do. And then a funny uh, point on that is that I actually have three names. So it's Norma Alicia Alejandra Padron, okay. right? And so I have a very long name. I have a long title, and I work for a team that has a long name as well, in, a, in an organization that also has a lot of acronyms and long names. So yeah, I get confused all the time. <laughs> exactly. So I won't feel too bad then. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so we are here live at the Health Equity Hackathon, and we were just talking about the importance of 
the research that's being done in this newly funded innovation organization inside the American Hospital Association. Yeah. And I wonder if we can talk a little bit more deeply about really your mission there. Yeah. You know, you've gone from, you've been in academia for, for quite a while. You've gotten to see, work with some amazing people. Mm-hmm. Why come to an industry organization? Mm-hmm. What's, it, what's it mean for you? Where does, the, where does the passion come from? Yeah, well, thank you for asking. I, I feel that if I were to describe it, I would say that um, just sort of my trajectory has been a little bit about having really the interest to advancing access to healthcare and then pulling a thread that's gotten longer and longer and longer along the way. And so first, I think that the drive was, you know, getting the skills to be able, uh, I guess, to be able to be in the room, right? I would see that my professors were asking all these fascinating questions, and I wanted to be there. I wanted to be in the room also asking those questions and answering those questions. And so I think that the academic training, the story behind that was mostly was mostly about that. When I got into teaching and working with the system and with both researchers and administrators within the health system. You know, when I was in New York at Sinai or later when I was at Mainland Health in Philadelphia or the Thomas Jefferson Health System as faculty. You know, that connection, right? How were the academics and the administrators connecting Mm -hmm. the dots, right? These large academic medical centers across the country. In fact, healthcare doesn't look like that for most of the country. The majority of care is not provided at large academic medical centers, right? But I could see how exciting it was to be in New York and hear about redesigning uh, contracts to provide better services for our postpartum care patients. You know, women in East Harlem with uh, a lot of other conditions or a lot of other uh, difficulties in access, transportation, food, uh, and the system was concerned about it, and it would bring academics. You know, we have published articles on this. And that was a sweet spot. <laughs> like, for me, yeah. it was the academic that got the chance to, like, affect a change, right? And that became mainly the motivation for me to later on, you know, be at Mainland Health uh, in Philadelphia and at Thomas Jefferson, and then now with the American Hospital Association, it's a unique opportunity professionally because I, I mean, as I was mentioning to you, the scale of it all, right? Is But is that opportunity of, well, the majority of care in the country is not benefiting from these interactions and connections between academic space and practice. There is an opportunity there to do that. And then you know what? Also the opportunity to say, do we really understand these applications, this frontier knowledge, right, that would be built in academia, this evidence? Mm. Do we understand what it means for a critical access hospital? And that's actually, I find, one of the most interesting questions because yeah. we know that in the clinical world, our doctors and nurses are taught to practice based on evidence, uh-huh. but they also are extremely reliant on their experience, their, yeah. the work that they've done with patients in the past, their experience of living in and working in a community. Right. And I'm really curious about how those hospitals, those clinicians respond to yeah. you know, insights that may be coming from a place that's not familiar, coming from you know, data, from socioeconomic research. Right. Can you talk a little bit about how that process is going, how you really do blend those things? Yeah. So in my current role, 
you know, my team is one of the largest within the organization, uh, so we're 12. All right. <laughs> and so uh, a lot of what we do is sort of behind the scenes. There, there are even, there's even a larger team supporting some of the projects, the uh, Health Research and Educational Trust, uh, Hospital and Improvement, uh, Hospital Improvement and Innovation Network, HIN, is the largest in the country. <laughs> and so we do, we support that project through providing, you know, data analytics to it, but, but it, this is a much larger, as you can imagine, endeavor. But I do get to learn, for instance, you know, within our, uh, states, uh, participating hospitals are in states like Alaska and Puerto Rico. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and we have uh, Florida and we have hospitals in Texas that are participating. And so you do get to see this perspective and, and you also get to connect the dots, right? Like, oh, this experience for these hospitals in Tennessee is very similar to this other experience for these hospitals in Florida when they have this. And so serving as that connector is also eye-opening. And I don't know that the academic space has ask that question a lot. Yeah. I'll put it out there, you know, also that there is something to learn in the evidence space from realizing how really the healthcare looks like, the healthcare provision looks like. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so having had time, having been able to spend time in medical centers in various kinds of arenas, yeah. do you get the sense that there is a any kind of pattern you've been able to see in terms of openness to new ways of thinking in terms of new ways of care delivery, new ways of, you know, new kinds of evidence that are introduced into the knowledge base. Is there, is there a pattern that says, you know, uh, our rural hospitals are all over it because, you know, they're so desperate for data and resource or yeah. I'm making this up, but right. I'm just curious what you've seen in your experience. Um, I think the most impactful thing is that it's it, it is the it, it is the 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 acknowledgement and understanding that in order to be applicable and actionable in healthcare, there has to be evidence, right? Is that that is why this is an industry that is so fundamentally different than any other industry, because their lives are at stake. Because this is a serious business. I sometimes contend with my friends and colleagues in the private sector when they say, oh, well, healthcare is so slow. I think sometimes we don't give it the credit that it actually, A, it is pretty fast. I mean, I walk around hospitals, right? And the tools and, you know, technology that we have, a lot of it was built in the last, you know, few years. Yeah. You know, a lot of it has not, but the majority has been. And so I think that that's the acknowledgement that it has to be evidence. Which means then the, the corollary to this is that then trust is very valuable. Mm. And I do think that this peer learning networks, a lot of what we're doing at HRET through our HIN and through, you know, some of our other projects, we, you know, basically can serve as connecting them. And because there's a trust and because I know that you're also a safety net hospital in another state, but struggling with the same things that I'm struggling, well, I ask you how you did it. And so... Yes, I, I was talking to you, you know, before we started, and I think that there's this fundamental acknowledgement that there, there is a consensus that social determinants of health are crucial to really advancing health. They really, they as hospitals across the country, trying to figure it out, well, how do we do it, right? I, yeah. I haven't seen anyone saying, I don't want to be part of it. I don't want anything to do with it. I, I just haven't seen anyone. Okay. Yeah, that's encouraging. But then is the how-to, and the how-to has to be fundamentally based in evidence and trust. 
So, and that's really, and this is, I think, a great point for us to close on, and it's actually where we opened our off-mic conversation about taking some of the advancements that exist in healthcare and getting them to the point where they can actually benefit patients more quickly. Can you tell us a little bit about how your work is helping to make those things happen at at the kind of scale you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. At smaller scales or larger scales, it is about convening knowledge and individuals where the trust is going to happen, right? And just uh, sometimes it's really about just letting the ecosystem thrive. Um, for us participating in the health equity, the first national health equity hackathon, right? We understand that the questions and the connections that are going to be made here are going to be potential innovators, you know, in two, three years or potential, you know, knowledge creators in the, in the future. And so we know that this is a valuable, uh, endeavor and use of our resources equally at, you know, sort of like larger scales, the role that we have in advancing performance and improvement and then connecting performance improvement and quality with, you know, what we understand the social determinants of health, um, having an impact on health outcomes, right? And so a lot of it is at the smaller, or the larger scales, convening and connecting yeah. uh, the knowledge. And I think that that's, uh, it's a unique opportunity really to be in. And it's fascinating. And I'm curious, and this will be, I think, the, the final point, but as you are convening those various stakeholders, I would imagine it would be really useful to have some of the policy expertise at the table as well to be able to ascertain, you know, where are there places where some of this impact could be had without making major policy changes, whereas, you know, others, you know, might have more significant hoops to jump through. Is that, is that in fact the case? We collaborate with partners across the spectrum. And so that mm-hmm. when you said, like, for instance, like that reminds me of, you know, we have a collaboration uh, coming up on the telebehavioral space, right? And so we know that telebehavioral space is, uh, is both everyone wants it to make it work, and then, but it hasn't scaled up a lot. And mm-hmm. to some extent, some of that uh, is the technology, the knowledge, the dissemination, the how-to, the practice. And so we are convening uh, various experts across a number of expertise in fields right around well how do we advance this we know we hear Mm -hmm. that this is something that there is a need and a demand for it uh there is the evidence behind it you know we convene some of our uh colleagues actually colleagues where i published in the space of telementoring uh in teletraining for advancing you know uh, access to mental health services in the elderly population and so we're really it's like okay so you have the experts the how-to i do think that that's where the action is going to be happening and that's where we want to be yeah Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. We've been visiting today with Dr. Norma Padron from the American Hospital Association. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Greg. Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.